0: Hello, this is Nathan Laws, one of the two hosts of the 42Cast podcast. Uh, Excuse me for doing this somewhat unconventional thing of addressing the audience before the first episode, but I did want to speak just very briefly about something that we discovered after recording the episode, which was that the audio recorder that I had been using, which has been somewhat buggy of late, also was buggy on this particular episode, I've since switched what I'm using, starting with episode 4. And from what I can see, episodes 2 and 3 weren't badly affected uh, by it. But what it basically happens is it will sometimes have gaps in the audio and then tries to spit like a second's worth of audio all out at once. So it basically garbles the conversation every now and then. Now, it doesn't do that for both tracks at once. It'll do it for one or the other. But you can definitely notice where someone will be speaking and it seems like they've skipped a word or a half a word Uh, and sometimes it isn't very clear what they were saying. Now, we could have re-recorded the whole thing, uh, but the reason that I'm putting this in the front and the reason basically I'm trying to explain why we didn't is that uh, Juliet, my co-host, and I kind of agonized over that decision and decided that because of the way that we're trying to do this podcast where... This is Juliet's first time watching Classic Who, and she and I do not talk about it at all beforehand, that we felt like re-recording would feel kind of artificial and forced, and we didn't want to do that. We didn't have want to have to try to recreate the conversation and pretend like we were talking about these things for the first time. So I realized that this is a really bad thing for the first episode of a podcast. We both did. But we thought it was more important to put out there our conversation. And and from context, it's almost always clear what we were saying in, in the bits that just skip. And it's not a whole bunch of audio that's ever lost. But it does create, you know, it's there's a few places where it's bad. That's all I can say. Um, so... Uh, give it a listen. Uh, I encourage you to listen to this one and to give Episode 2 a try, because uh, we don't really have the same kind of issues with Episode 2, but I did want to explain what's going on, let you know that it would not be typical. From now on, I'm using a paid service rather than a free system that I was using before, and the audio out of that has been crystal clear, so um, it is what it is. So, without further ado, here is the first episode of Time Streams.
1: Oh, it's a police
0: box? What on earth is it doing here? Well, these things are usually on the street. Oh,
1: feel it. Feel it, you feel it? It's a faint vibration. It's alive. It's not connected to anything unless it's through the floor. Look, I've had enough.
2: Let's go and find a policeman.
0: Welcome to the Time Streams Podcast. This is a podcast where we're going to go through every episode of televised Doctor Who. I'm Nathan.
2: And I'm Juliet.
0: And today we're going to talk about the very first Doctor Who episode, an Unearthly Child, and both its televised and untelevised version. Alright, so just to start off here, you know, hello everybody. So yeah, this is the Time Streams podcast. You might know me from or you might know both of us actually from the 42 cast or Sean Castic which are that um, we were on Troncast is a show we were on and 42 Cast is a show that I host. But yeah, so I've been a Doctor Who fan for my life since I was five and I've just seen so and heard so many Doctor Who podcasts out there and I've just always been like chomping at the bit going like, oh man, I really wish I could say this. I really wish I could say that. So that was kind of the genesis of the podcast was me saying like, Hey, I would like to do this too because this is a show that's been my favorite show since I was a little kid. And I put out, you know, people that I knew saying, hey, you know, who would like to do this thing with me? I'm going to go through the whole thing. So it's a pretty big time commitment. And Juliet responded and said that she uh, would like to uh, do the show with me. So, Juliet, how did you start with Doctor Who?
2: So I was aware of Doctor Who for. Uh, many years but i've never i'd never watched it in fact one day somebody had mentioned uh, Arrowman, and i said the broadway singer because i have one of his albums at that point i was a Mm -hmm. fan of his work and they were like no captain jack i was like jack sparrow (laughs) i I was like the most uneducated doctor who geek there was it was show star i actually really want him to sign my album one day
0: Uh, have him sign as captain jack sparrow
2: (laughs) yeah i might have that story oh god but uh, so finally, my friends uh, convinced me to give Doctor Who. Well, they started me with the new series uh, with the Ninth Doctor, mm-hmm. and that's where I've been hooked. I absolutely adore the Ninth Doctor. He is my Doctor because everybody apparently has a Doctor, right. and he is mine. And I, I, I cried it when I at his regeneration. I actually took a year off because I couldn't, I couldn't bear mm. it. I couldn't bear a regeneration. And then we got I, I lost Rose, and we, I cried and. Took another year off. And I dragged my feet through Mark. We'll talk about all of that down the
0: road. It's awful. Well, yeah, Way down However, the road, but yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but the best part about this was, is you put out this call asking for somebody who would be interested in doing this with you. I have seen maybe one or two rare episodes of Classic Who. That's it. So I was like, this would be the perfect chance and reason for me to finally sit down, start from the beginning, watch all of this, and finally understand what people are talking about with some of these, you know, beginning doctors. Like, everybody loves the fourth doctor. I want to know about the fourth doctor.
0: So do you know what ones you've seen before?
2: I think they were, were they, were they written by Douglas Adams? Is that why I've seen them? Oh, okay. That, that was it. My mom got me a disc because she knows I'm a Douglas Adams fan Mm -hmm. and she found these episodes that he had done.
0: Yeah. So the pirate planet or city of death.
2: I honestly don't remember and I have to go over here and look. <laughs> it's been that long.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't think you had actually watched any uh, classic here. So that was the, and, and so just so people know, I have tried to like keep myself separately on this topic, just because I wanted the podcast to be kind of a thing where we're both kind of like, you know, finding out what the other one knows or, or you know, kind of thing. And I don't want to really spoil anything, you know, or <laughs> things like that. Obviously, you've seen the new series, you know, a lot of stuff, but I'm just saying like, I want things to be more of a surprise to you than me just being like, oh, and in this next story, this is going to happen, you know, and that and that, you know.
2: Oh, don't worry. You're going to get that with Classic Who and then to a certain point in New Who because I stopped watching again thanks to Heartbreak.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, did you see when the 50th anniversary came, they put out like this special called an adventure in space and time where they actually like, up. Uh, It's what they call like a docu-drama, where it's not like an actual, like, documentary. It's like actors playing out the parts of like the original, you know, William Hartnell's the first Doctor and everything, and kind of like the story of how the show got made in the beginning.
2: No, but now I really want to, because that sounds awesome.
0: No, no, we'll do that. We're, so that one of my is after we get through the first Doctor, then we'll do that as like a, sort of like a special afterwards. Okay. Because, yeah, I was just, again, because I was curious, like, how much you knew about the background of everything also with Doctor Who, and that, that like, sort of movie explains a lot of that.
2: I actually am very, very unfamiliar. Like I said, I know the fourth Doctor is Tom Baker. I'm Mm -hmm. aware of Sarah Jane. Thanks to the 10th Doctor episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's pretty much it.
1: Okay.
2: It's sad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, so you already said Eccleston is your favorite. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I like Eccleston too. I actually wish he had had more than just one season because that's a real disappointment. I keep hoping that he'll, that, I know he's starting to do conventions now, which for a long time, he just like kept himself separate from anything related to Doctor Who. And I know that he's done some conventions.
2: He has, he's, he's been more open about it and his experiences. And uh, apparently he was actually dealing with uh, an eating disorder filming. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to actually read his book.
0: Yeah. And uh, so I'm hoping that someday Big Finish, which is a company that makes Doctor Who like audio plays, will get him to do, you know, some Ninth Doctor stories because I think that would be really cool.
2: That would be awesome.
0: Yeah. Are you aware of Big Finish at all?
2: No, I'm not. I mean... I know that there are some audiobooks that have full cast or that are read by the doctors but I'm not familiar with these cool plays.
0: Okay, yeah, they well they do the yeah, it's um um you know like some things are just like kind of like an audiobook format where it's just one of you know uh, either one of the companions or one of the doctors just reading a story. Okay. Which they'd just do their own voice and in, in character. But yeah, like Big Finish's primary thing is that they do like full cast plays. So that's they they're they've been doing it since 1999.
2: Oh, wow. I mean, considering how much I love BBC radio dramas and comedies, that sounds right up my alley.
0: Yeah, no, they're, they're tremendous. And that was another thing that I wanted to do is, uh, you know, every once in a while, like, do one of those. Because they've gotten all the, uh, except for one actor or actress that's still alive, they have gotten every surviving compa- and doctor. Now, this is for the classic series, because with the new series, you know, a lot of them, are, they're, they're, they're younger, they're still working on other stuff, and they haven't had the time. David Tennant's done a few. Mm-hmm. But so far, Eccleston, Matt Smith, and Peter Capaldi have it. They're only restricted by the BBC. They can't use whoever the current doctor is. Okay. Yeah, but he wants to be able to retain any kind of like, because they have their own CD, you know, broadcast, all that kind of stuff. So they like to retain their own rights over the current doctor just to make sure, you know, if they ever want to do like any plays or whatever with the with the current doctor. They do every once in a while. It makes sense. The BBC also has done some audiobooks, but they don't do full cast plays with the doctors. They've done a few audiobooks though. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, just a little background on that too. I know way too much about Doctor Who. Uh, (laughs) Like I said, I was five when I saw my first story, which was a Tom Baker story. Uh, Seeds of Doom, for anyone listening who who knows what I'm talking about. And I was instantly hooked. Star Trek, my favorite show up until that point because the, the original series was syndicated, you know, on daytime television. So when I'd come home from school, like Star Trek would come on. So I'd watch Star Trek every day, which I still love Star was saying, like, that had been to me, like, the pinnacle of entertainment. And then I saw Doctor Who and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this is better. <laughs> you know, so I've been a Doctor Who fan ever since. I have every original novel that came out. A lot of the ones that were novelizations of the TV I've read. I've listened to a lot of the Big Finish stuff. Oh my gosh. Every fact book, like things about the making of the show, or people do uh, critiques of the show and stuff like that. I've got like, sometimes I should send you a picture of my bookshelves because I have a whole bookshelf (laughs) devoted to Doctor Who and (laughs) a couple shelves on another bookshelf.
2: (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: (laughs) It's a a lot of stuff.
2: But it's a good contrast. I mean, between you and your love of Doctor Who since you were five, and I think I watched my first episode in 2011 and 12.
0: Mm. So yeah, well, one other thing I wanted to do before we uh, get into it is uh, just say a little bit about ourselves, which I kind of skipped over other than just our Doctor Who love. So uh, do you want to start, Juliet, Or sure. should I go first?
2: I-, I can start. So I'm a cosplayer, I'm a knitter, I'm a karaoke fiend. I love to attend conventions, even if my convention attendance has mainly come down to Dragon Con these days. Mm. But I love to dress up. I love to work uh, charity events for kids and stuff like that in folks here around Middle Tennessee. It's really fun to do that with and just see the kids' faces light up. I knit anything and everything. I've recently got into knitting with anodized aluminum scales, which is a lot of fun and painful on the fingers. Mm. And what else? I work work with a lot of nonprofits. I'm actually on the board profit here in Tennessee. And I'm a giant sci-fi nerd. Mostly sci-fi. I love them. I love a good portion of fantasy, but it takes a lot to draw me in so it's mostly sci-fi like star trek next generation is my favorite show but battlestar galactica is kind of right up there on it so yeah that that's that's me there's a not a whole lot you may occasionally as you listen to this podcast hear my cats yowling (laughs) in the background i do have three and one of them is 16 and he's very when he's hungry
0: Mm. and you're also an anime fan
2: yes as we just (laughs) talked about two nights ago on the 42 cast yes trying to narrow down my favorite animes and you sent me a list that people should watch to know you. And I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> I can't even narrow that list down. There's just too many that I could just say this encompasses me.
0: Yeah, five is really hard. I mean, it was so hard. So the original thing was five TV shows. And I was like, I can't do that. I have to separate <laughs> it out into <laughs> shows, cartoons, and anime. <laughs> like, here's five TV shows. Here's five cartoons. Here's five anime.
2: I <laughs> was like, what's your favorite book? I, I can't even tell you. Mm. can't do it.
0: Yeah. I'm usually good for like my favorite of something, but when you start getting out know, ordered like two, three, four, five, it's like, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, that's <laughs> really hard. Because <laughs> then I mean, especially when you're like splitting hairs, it's like, I-, I like a lot. Right. Which is better? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so oh, well, So here's something, you know, that I don't know because you, you have so many costumes. Uh, I see pictures of you in costume, either that you're posting or be posting or whatever all the time. <laughs> what is your, uh, maybe this is another one thing you're going to be like, I can't say a favorite, but what is your favorite costume?
2: Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. You're telling me to pick one? <laughs> I have to admit, this year I did do the cartoon Lydia from the Beetlejuice cartoon.
1: Mm.
2: And it was the first time I'd done it at Dragon Con and it may have been my favorite costume of the convention. It was comfortable, it was fun, and my personality just went full on cartoon Lydia deeps. It just it felt very natural. After that I don't know. I really am digging the Doctor Strange costume that I do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, your Doctor Strange is very good.
2: I have fooled my aunt. My my mom showed a (laughs) picture of me to my aunt uh, dressed as Doctor Strange, and she was wondering who that guy
0: was.
2: (laughs) She was like, that's your niece.
0: Yeah, I like your Phoenix costume that I see on Skype.
2: Yeah, there are three of those now, even though a couple of them are a little old and need to be replaced. But I do have Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, and White Phoenix of the Crown.
0: I've seen all three from various pictures. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm an X-Men fan going... You know, way back, so you know, I I have a I have a you know instant liking for you know X Men version guy. Got- I
2: have to show you this fantastic X Men shoot we did in like the hotel, the hallway out by the elevator at Dragon Con once with me and a Gambit and Nightcrawler and a Rogue. It was beautiful.
0: Nice. So yeah, just a few things about me. I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I've got two kids, two daughters, aged 13 and 9. So, yeah, it's getting to the point where I'm a little worried. Uh (laughs) (laughs) God, and and it doesn't feel like it either, because I feel like it was like, wasn't wasn't my oldest just born like a couple years ago? No. (laughs) But yeah, so um, like I already said, uh, you know, big Star Trek fan, big Doctor Who fan. Stores is probably the other leg of that tripod. What, what? Those are kind of like my three like primary fandoms. Although Babylon 5's kind of snuck in there too, so it's kind of like those. But I love a lot of. I mean, I you know, I mean, like there's so many different shows that I like. you know, heroes. I like all the Marvel you know uh, movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. I got into comics with the X Men cartoon in the 90s, so I started reading comics and so big into superheroes and all that too. Let's see, uh, I have a dog and a cat. Dog is named Braytac, for Stargate fans out there. <laughs> my cat is Felicia, for Spider-Man fans out there, black cat.
2: Okay, now I want to share the names of my cats. Okay. Ash is the 16-year-old, and he is named from the Evil Dead movies.
0: Oh, okay, sure.
2: And Ender is the six-year-old cat. for He's overcome his own little issues. And then Castiel is my 20-pound cat.
0: Co- mm. Now, see, Ender, see, see when you were saying, like, you can't pick, like, a favorite book or whatever, I'm not sure it's the greatest book that I've ever read, like, as far as, like, just the quality, but it's probably my favorite book is Ender's Game.
2: Oh, it's so good.
0: It is. I read it, I read it in ninth grade, and it was the perfect book to read at that time. I'll bet. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, it was one of those things where it was at, like, one of those, um, school book sale kind of, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting, so I got it, and, uh, and I read it, and I was like, wow, and this is, like, the thing that was crazy to me is, like, I usually don't like child protagonists, because I feel like it's adults writing for children who forgot what it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. at Ender's Game, I'm reading it, and, like, that's, like, how I actually feel. Like, this guy, you know, captured my emotions and the feelings of being, like, constantly pressed to do better. And a little sleep I was getting and all that kind of stuff of being, like, a kid that's put in, like, a high-pressure-to-perform situation. And Mm -hmm. it was just, like, it was amazing to me. So just because of the depth of, you know, empathy that I had for the character, it's like, this, this, I love this. So, yeah, I I absolutely adore Ender's game. I've reread it as an adult and doesn't have the same level of personal resonance, but it's still a great book. Cool name for the cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'd asked you about like, uh, about like, if you knew anything about Doctor Who and its background. So I'm just going to give you like a few things that are just sort of like, you know, what it was like back then or some of like the, the thing, you know, the notable like sort of things about the history of it. So Doctor Who was a sort of brainchild. The BBC realized that they were being left behind by American productions that, you know, independent television stations would bring over in England and whatnot. And because the BBC was very much steeped in this idea of they used to literally just point a camera at a stage that had a play going on. Wow. So it was, you know, kind of old fashioned. It was very much uh, like a, like an older style of television. 60s, you know, stuff's progressing. technology's progressing. And so they brought in a Canadian to run their drama department. Uh, his name was Sidney Newman. One of the things that Sidney Newman did was like he, he created like a focus group of like you know what's a way we can be innovative? What can we do? And so they came up with this idea. Like one of the things that the public was interested in was science fiction. And they said, okay, well science fiction is kind of broad. Like what? And they were like, well, it, it seems most people seem to be interested in are either like psychic powers or time travel. And so they decided, well, let's do a TV show about time travel. So that was one of the, you know, it started getting the, the show going. Now... He, uh, by all accounts, was a very kind of brash guy that, like, didn't, you know, mince words with people mm-hmm. and didn't get along well with the sort of old stuffy, you know, like, people that, that worked in the BBC historically. Uh, so he brought in someone that he had known from when he was working the independent television in Britain, you know, the non-BBC stuff. And she was a young named Verity Lambert, and he made her the producer. So back then that was unheard of for a woman to be a producer. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I feel, and of course you've only seen the the beginning, so you don't know that, at least in these first couple of years of Doctor Who, it's very, it's a lot more progressive than most shows at the time would be. And, you know, they, they assigned some people to work on it to be like the initial director and whatever. But again, she was having lots of trouble with, the, you know, people, because they were just like, you're just some girl. You don't know what you're doing. Huh. So she fired the director. Oh my. And hired a young Indian, you know, Indian British person, but of Indian descent, um, to be her initial director named Waris hussein And again, these are two young people with something to prove, right? And so that's then they're sort of the genesis of Doctor Who is these two people, you know, kind of outsiders at the BBC, you know, trying to make like the best show that they could make because they knew that this was something like, you know, their whole careers were hinging on this and to show, like, we can do this. So uh, I thought that was just, you know, just an interesting thing about it. And the other thing is, do you know how they made television back then?
2: How they made television?
0: Like, the constraints they were under?
2: Not in detail, no.
0: Okay, so they basically uh, rehearsed it, like, all together like it was a play. And they would rehearse, and then when they went into the studio, they basically had to record. They did one camera rehearsal beforehand or cuts, and so that meant they basically had to do the whole thing from beginning to end because the studio time was that much at a premium that without any breaks, as if you know it was a pl- you know like they would have the sets arranged and whatever, and they could go mm-hmm. from set to set, you know, walk from you know location, but it was like. Because if you exceeded your, you know, number of cuts, it was like a big deal and you had to negotiate with the union and stuff like that. So they basically designed the with the idea of we don't cut unless something really bad happens. Like with this first one, the only time that they cut for like actual reasons of they just couldn't film it any other way is when they go into the TARDIS Mm -hmm. because they had no way back then to do like CGI or whatever. So it's like, yeah, the police box, you cut. Then you go over to the other set, you start filming. So again, this is like super high pressure, you know, thing where you know, and these people were used. to, I mean, in, in England, like plays are still, you know, like the stage is much more popular than it is here. Oh yeah, you know, like here it's just like Broadway. You know, if you live in New York, you know, there's still a lot of theater. But, you know, in, in other places, you know, there's not a lot of theater going on. You might have, like, one option, like, you know, in a made you know, or whatever. I
2: know. I, I patronize Fathom events with their whole National Theater Live broadcasts constantly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, it's a bigger deal in England than it is here. So, you know, these people were used to that kind of thing. It's, you know, again, it's like it's not how television was made in the States where, like, you know, TV in the States grew out of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. right and he and in england it grew out of the theater hmm. and so it was a much more static thing so you know one of the, and the reason why i'm saying all this is because a lot of people that i know who have gone back and watched original doctor who they're like it seems so boring or it seems like so like you know like uh, static or you know there's not a lot of dynamic cuts or anything like that and i'm like well a hey, one it's old and two that's what it imagine doctor who being more like a play In these early years, I think that it gets a lot more, you know, mileage, where they expected you to have to use your imagination a little bit, and every once in a while, because of the fact they weren't allowed to cut or whatever, they flub lines or whatever, and you just like sort of squint past it. Well,
2: that that actually kind of reminds me of two of my notes on on watching the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and I think it's because I love two particular things that I don't mind any of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love anime, Mm -hmm. which freezes on a particular character and only their mouths move (laughs) like 20 minutes it seems like sometimes but that's all you get Mm -hmm. and i am a huge fan of the original dark shadows television oh okay so this felt um, this, this whole sequence, the whole filming of it and every the cinematography rating, really, I feel like I'm watching dark shadows again.
0: That's probably a pretty, see, I have not seen dark shadows, but I know other people who are into it. And so, you know, I, I bet that that's a pretty close analog because like even one of my friends who's like a really big dark shadows fan was telling me there was an episode, you know, because of course at the end of the episode, like they roll the credits, but really like, but the camera is still looking at the set or whatever, as the credits are rolling. And, like, the mm-hmm. cleaning guy, like, comes out and starts, like, taking stuff down and, like, then suddenly, like, realize that they're still filming and runs off the stage. And so, like, those kinds of mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, happen when, you know, you're basically making TV as if it was live, even though it's not really live. Exactly. So, yeah, let's let's start talking about the, you know, and again, because I knew we are going to do all this introduction stuff. I was kind of, like, short with this one of, you know, we'll just do the first episode and talk about it. Oh, that's the other thing. Sorry, I keep rambling, but Doctor Who, in these early ones, it's basically a series of serials. And that goes for the whole classic series, where basically it's like, you'll have one story over anywhere from two, to t- typically two to six episodes. And so it's like a serial where it's like, oh, episode one, cliffhanger, episode two, cliffhanger, etc.
2: That explains, the ta- that explains the naming titles on when, Amazon. When I was looking mm-hmm. at it, I was like, watch the pilot episode. I was like, are all five or six of these the ones I'm watching to begin with or just the first one of these?
0: In the beginning, they'll actually give a title to every episode. After the third season, they start just saying, like, an overall title for the whole story and then saying part one, part two, part three. So um, the overall stor- uh, titles that go with all these early ones... Are basically thinking up after the fact. Okay. Uh, usually, they'll take the first episode of the serial and call the whole serial by that name. But in a few cases, it doesn't do that. So like in this case, the first episode is called "An Unearthly Child," so the whole serial is "An Unearthly Child."
2: Now it makes sense.
0: Yeah. So yeah, uh, so typically what I want to do with this is we'll do a serial at a time, but in a few cases where the serials are incredibly long, if they're more than six parts, I'm going to suggest we just break them up and do them like, because there are a few, uh, there's an eight parter at one point, there's a 10 parter and there's a 12 parter is the, is the longest one. Oh, wow. Yeah yeah I think those should be kind of broken up because otherwise you know i, I kind of want a length. I don't want us to do like a double length episode, so we'll just do part one and part two.
2: That's totally okay about me
0: okay <laughs> so yeah, so first thing of course that you watch when you when you start the show is the the title sequence. um so what did you think you know coming to him where you got like sort of like the more rock <laughs> you know kind of version of the theme, What did you think of the original?
2: It was so version? pretty. It was just. It was. It's been a while since I was under Who, and I I found myself singing along in my office while I was watching it. And I just, (laughs) I thought it was very nice. It was the theme for all that it has added things over the years. It's still so amazingly recognizable, no matter what you add to it.
0: Yeah. Um. So, like, that is the first electronically created theme song for any TV show ever. Was it really? Yeah. That was what was called the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, where they, like, created, like, special songs. They actually composed the music because they wanted something that sounded kind of otherworldly. So, yeah, I mean, a guy named Ron Grainer composed it, but it's actually, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, named uh, Delia Derbyshire. She's the one who actually created it, you know, like like, performed it. And she's known as, like, one of these pioneers of electronic sounds and whatnot. So, again, another involvement, um, you know, very early on in Doctor Who with one who was, you know, kind of, like, uh, you know, like, key to, you know, uh, um, television, kind of, like, in her early, you know, days. So, you know, I always think that's kind of cool.
2: They succeeded. It definitely felt Mm otherworldly.
0: And I like how the titles, ever since the beginning, have tried to look like this is what we think the time vortex looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. And so again, in black and white, there's not a whole lot you can do. But you know, they, you know, they, they experimental. They were playing around with what happens when a camera looks at the TV that it's, you know, it's displaying on. Mm-hmm. And they were noticing all these weird feedback things with all these swirls and turns and things that would appear on the screen. And they were like, "Hey, that looks cool. Let's use that." You know. So- <laughs> that's how the visuals were created so again they're just trying to do something nobody's ever seen anything like this before you know so let's put that up there
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and then we get to our first shot of the TARDIS with a policeman wandering around
2: oh it just made me so happy to see it
0: (laughs) yeah so you aware of what a police box is
2: from what I understand it that was popular back in that time and you basically could go into it and lock yourself in and call for help
0: yeah it had two purposes that was one you could call for help the other was that a police use it like if he arrested somebody because you know a lot of cops in england don't have cars Mm -hmm. they they wander a beat right and so it was a place for them to even lock up the criminal until a car could come by and they could to the station so yeah it had a it had a dual purpose for that but yeah, so like for the people at the time watching this, this was supposed to be like this is a familiar thing. Okay. And so having it have the spaceship or time ship or whatever you want to call it inside of it was like crazy. Like oh, you're taking something familiar. It's like it's like a magical wardrobe or something like that. Whereas for people watching it now, even in England, where you know there haven't been police boxes for decades, it's kind of like this is this weird, you know, cane, <laughs> you know, thing that we don't know what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's kind of kind of interesting how that's changed
2: well i like the way it was just draped in that junkyard it just looked very forgotten
0: yeah no and that's i mean the direction in this is good i think that for the limitations they were under they did a good job not only of, like, set design and dressing things up, but also of, like, getting, like, nice movements in there and everything to, like, you know, on the junkyard and then it's, like, you kind of swing in on the TARDIS and it's kind of like, whoa, what's this doing here? Right. And so um, then we cut to the, the school scene and we meet our regular characters for the first time.
2: So I'm assuming that you say regular characters, we're going to hang out with them for a little while, these two teachers?
0: Yes. So yeah, that's my, that was what I was going to ask you. What do you think from just your initial, and, and of course, I mean, we watched two different versions. So I mean, I don't want to go like, let's talk about the original pilot, let's talk about the new one. But I kind of wanted you to see like the differences in performance and the differences in a little bit in the dialogue and whatnot, because I was curious about how you about the characters watching the two versions. So But yeah, we have Ian and Barbara. Ian Mm -hmm. is a science teacher and Barbara is a history teacher. And what, how do you feel about Ian and Barbara?
2: I like Barbara. I mean, in both interpretations, she seems like a very, uh, she seems more open minded than Ian. Mm -hmm. I will say that uh, I actually had a note that in the actual pilot, the male teacher is a bit less of a horse's rear end. (laughs) I felt in the unaired pilot, he was a complete and utter jerk. I thought he was a bit nicer, more. Like once they're in the TARDIS, he is less angry and let me out. Uh, in the actual pilot, pilot in the in the unaired one, he was all grrr. At least to me.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Like both of them felt a little more cold in the unaired. Like like in the unaired version. I felt like when they're talking with each other in the in the classroom before they go see Susan that they I was like these people feel kind of stiff they don't feel like they're friends but in the in the aired version it felt to me like, like something they do on a regular basis is they just hang out and talk after you know school gets out and and these people feel like friends
2: they definitely felt more relaxed
0: so yeah I uh, uh, just just uh, a little spoiler. I ship it hard, and <laughs> I absolutely love the two of them. <laughs> so, yeah, and, of course, they're discussing the student of theirs, Susan, who, uh, you know, has all the, you know, it's like, she's really great, but then she's also kind of weird ways, but to a degree that doesn't seem like just normal awkwardness, and they have no idea what it is that you know uh what's going on with her life barbara tried to you know visit her at home but like when she went bad you know it was a junkyard and they're like what's you know what's going on here
2: i will say the weird camera angles where susan Mm -hmm. is staring at the camera as if it's as if the camera is the teacher Mm -hmm. that was a little weird i'm not big i'm not I'm always weirded out when characters look directly into the ground. I'm like, don't don't look at me.
0: Well, that that was because of the, the the way that they recorded back then. Because Ian and Barbara were still in the car when they were having the flashbacks. So they couldn't get up and walk over to another set. They so basically, Susan, when they do the flashbacks, it's another part of the stage where Susan's standing. And they she has to stare at the camera. As to, it's like it's a point of view shot. Just so that, that way it works. Right. But, I mean... It's them trying to be clever with the constraints that they had, um, you know, doing it that way. But yeah, and so then they go and they, uh, you know, meet with Susan in the other classroom where she is. And she's those rock beats.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, the dancing was it's like an early form of watching people dance at the goth club for me with her hand. She's like, <laughs> like yeah,
0: I will say when I was young, I thought that Susan was very cute. I had uh, kind of got a thing for her.
2: I think she's still adorable.
0: Well, I'm just saying, you know, like...
2: That hair, the little, the, the whole outfit, everything.
0: Yeah. um, Her hair was actually done by Vidal Sassoon. Really? Yes. <laughs> the, the the famous hairstylist that now has the whole, like, hair care line, you know, now that you can see the products in stores and stuff. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah, and so then, of course, you know, they try to give us, like, you know, Ian's the cool teacher, right, because he knows what Susan's talking about. You know, and she's uh-huh. like, you know, aren't they great? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, I know I know who this band is and everything, when Barbara's just kind of like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this rock and roll you kids are into, I don't get any of it. But yeah, so, like, I think Susan's another thing that ch- her performance changed a lot between the two versions. I-, I mean, most of the changes, I think, are performance rather than detail. There's a few details that change between the two of them. There's a few lines, or, you know, as it progresses more lines get off, but
2: well, there was that, there, they dropped the line about the English fog, and said so it was just yep. walking in the night. Okay, which sounds less creepy, I guess? <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. So what did you think about Susan? Because, I mean, she's supposed to be our different roles here. So we've got Ian, who's supposed to be our man of action guy going forward. We've got Barbara, who's going to be more of like, you know, um uh how do i describe barbara barbara's sort of like a mentor and you know susan is going to be like our viewer identification figure you know she's supposed to be for because you know, doctor who was was pitched for like 10 to 14 year olds originally oh, wow. uh, so she's more of like yeah the kids at home will be watching susan and i like, kind of identifying with her so what did you think about susan
2: i liked her i mean. Knowing that she is the doctor's granddaughter and apparently from the same species and knowing what I do know about them from the newer who, it makes sense. She does seem very fascinated by everything. I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. I felt she was a little whiny, but I think all teenagers are at some point.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so fandoms very divided about Susan. I really like her, but there are a lot of people that always are like, Oh, she's too whiny, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you got to think about the fact that this is somebody who comes from a very technological society, like, way we. And so, you know, you go to, you know, places on Earth that are, like, less developed and whatever, and you tell me that you're not going to get wine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's natural. And like you said, for younger people now, so, you know, it's right. kind of... Yeah, I, I I I don't like that criticism of her because I think that it's kind of ignoring the background for the character
2: she's a kid she's she's just an adolescent i don't even know how old she really is in her species but i'm sure she's still just an adolescent there
0: mm-hmm. so they of course they talk and there's the line about barbara's lending her a book on the french row she's like oh i'll give it back tomorrow and barbara's like no you can wait until you finished it and she's like oh i'll finish it by then it's like this big thick hardcover book <laughs> And they're like, kind of looking at you know, Ian and Barbara looking at each other, like, "What?" I <laughs> do
2: you know? Oh no, I empathize with that. I did that all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was always devouring books at that age too. Although I'm not pretty sure I couldn't have read that book overnight, but uh, you know, maybe.
2: Oh, mine was Les Mis. I read the unabridged Les Mis in one high school day. <laughs> That's it. Mm.
0: But so then we get to after Ian and Barbara leave, and though they, and they've already talked about how they're going to follow her, which is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, little stalkerish, you know. Well, not necessarily follow her. They're going to go to they have on file and see if she shows up. But you know, we have the two differences here between the untelevised version and the televised. Where in the untelevised version, she just decides to do like a Rorschach in ink blot. <laughs> You know, and just like, yeah, yeah. draws. And I think what it's supposed to be like a hexagon after she does it is she's drawing the TARDIS console with, you know, by doing an ink blot, but it was, okay. it's weird, right? Like, and she just does it randomly for no reason.
2: Yeah. It's rest not- again in that episode. I was like, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, apparently when it was reviewed by Sidney Newman, the guy who had the idea for Doctor Who, it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know what she's doing. Change it. <laughs> and so that's why in the other version, it's her opening the book. And going, oh, that's not right.
2: I like that there.
0: Yeah, because it gives her still that sort of weirdness or otherworldliness, but without, you know, but but something that has a little more, you know, context.
2: I mean, to me, it, it shows me exactly where that came from when I so with the Ninth Doctor and he's flipping through a magazine in Rose's apartment going, well, that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, there's definitely several references to that as the series goes by, even in the classic series. And so, yeah, then we cut back to Ian and Barbara. They're in the car now. They're jarred.
2: And they say they're parked across the street, but I swear that they're two feet from her, and I don't know how she missed them. (laughs) She like looks around. I'm like the car is practically brushing against girl.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that's different also in the untelevised version is it seems like she both she and the doctor are a lot more worried about being followed mm-hmm. and That gets toned way down in the version like I think originally they might have had some concept idea of you're chased or something and that gets dropped. Like the whole idea that they're worried about somebody following them kind of goes away. But yeah, I mean she does look around a little bit in the in the televised one, but nowhere near as much as she does uh, in the but yeah, and then we get a little bit more background about her while you and Barbara are talking, like, she is like, hey, you can't do a math problem with only three dimensions, you gotta use five dimensions, and there's the whole thing of she thinks that British currency is the... Which, newsflash, it did <laughs> change to that later, but <laughs> uh, but back then it was actually, like, weird, it was, like, something like 16 shillings to a pound, like, you, you had to figure out, like, how the coins, like, changed, and it was, like, all oh, numbers, it wasn't, like... You know, base 10, like, you know, most money is. Yeah, it was like some old, you know, version from the British Empire. I don't pretend to understand it, I just know that it was different. And so, yeah, they, they got in there. So, then they decide to go in, and when they go into the junkyard, nobody's there.
2: I did notice several different can between the two versions when they're walking around inside. Also, I want to point out, when I, I watched the unaired version first... And as they walk inside and he's holding a tiny pen light, I'm like, what do you think you're going to see with that tiny light? And he drops it and she goes, would you like a match? And I'm like, that would probably give off more light than your, thank goodness for the televised version. He's holding an actual flashlight.
0: You know, I didn't notice that it like, it changed like how big the flashlight was. Now that's, that's a new detail for me.
2: It was just one of those things that I was like, what are you going to see with this laser pointer? <laughs> it's so tiny
0: going to lure out any cats that are hanging out there
2: <laughs> oh it was so ridiculous but they, but they did change camera angles they changed the dialogue i noticed nothing huge but uh just enough that i, I did see the difference because i watched them back to back
0: so did i before doing this but yeah so you know they're kind of exploring and then they notice that the police box is actually vibrating
2: yeah that was my other thing why does he immediately jump to the idea that it's alive not <laughs> that maybe it's just plugged
0: into something he's like it's alive <laughs> so okay so so actually this is something that I've heard people say before so back in the day it was a not like it was a colloquial expression to say that something that had power was alive
1: okay
0: so not like alive in the sense of you and me are alive but you know it if something like if you turn on a motor it's alive you know it's that that kind of thing you don't mean life. <laughs>
1: It's so weird. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but again, it's sort of setting up, like, the weirdness of this police box and why is it in a junkyard in the first And then also, you know, now it's, like, it's vibrating and they look around it for any kind of power connection. They don't see one. So that's, you know, they're kind of puzzled by that when they start hearing coughing and enter the doctor.
2: I thought when he was coughing the first and he was sick mm. in the, in the aired version, it looked more like he was just coughing from the dust. Cause he waved his hand in front of his face. I was like, ah, that, there's a change. That's much better.
0: Yeah. So what do you think of feeding with our first doctor?
2: Oh, I have notes on this. Okay. <laughs> okay. So from the unaired pilot, I actually had the note. This first doctor is kind of terrifying and mean. Yeah. <laughs> like he's actually scary. Mm-hmm. There's a point in there where he does a nickel sounding laugh, and I'm sitting here going, who would ever want to be a companion for this Doctor? Because I'm afraid he'd just dump me off somewhere random.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But from the actual pilot that did air, um, his exchange with Ian and Barbara is much more just... It, it feels much more lighthearted, hearted
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he's, he's a bit less antagonistic, and he's more likable. He almost feels more like an absent-minded professor in this one, or at least that's what he comes off as, rather than... And all powerful time lord.
0: Yeah, I mean he's definitely patronizing, even in the aired version, where he he knows yes. he's smarter than they are, and he's not afraid to tell them that you know, I'm way smarter than you, and you don't know what you're yeah. dumb. You know.
2: But he comes off more as Doc Brown as opposed to Sherlock.
0: Yes, no, no, it's definitely. I mean, I, the word that I've heard people use to describe him is impish. And I kind of like that word. Yes. Yeah, where he he's got he's got a twinkle in his eye. He's kind of and he laughs. He laughs a lot more. Or, you know, he's kind of pleased with his own cleverness kind of laugh.
2: Mm-hmm. Instead of evil sounding laugh.
0: Right, exactly. And that was apparently one of the things that he wanted to change. Um William Hartnell is often the character because he had been typecast for years as being he did a lot of movies and things that he was playing like very harsh characters which is why he does it so well you know angry harsh not necessarily villainous characters but just characters who are very strict and stern and he Wahoo, as a way of kind of getting outside of that like he wanted you know i'm a leading role now you know i want to do you know a different kind of character than that because originally you know as the show is set up and you'll see this and and you know as we go on is that even though it's called Doctor Who because he's the one that has the, you know, the means of getting us from adventures to adventure, it was set up more that, like, Ian and Barbara are, like, our main characters and the doc-crazy old guy that takes us, you know, to, to places that are interesting. Mm-hmm. And so he's not the star yet. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's, he's the star, he is a star, but he is not, like, the central figure of the show yet. So, yeah, it's a very different ick um, if you're coming to it from the newer stuff. But, yeah, I I like him. I think he's great. You know, a lot of people, they they take, you know, some of the, you know, some of that more stern kind of stuff that he does. They might watch, like, one episode, and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like the first Doctor because he's so stern. I'm like, just watch. He can be very funny, just like any other Doctor, but sometimes he, you know, goes to that other extreme, but that's, I like that, and frankly, there's a lot of character development that he gets in the first season, also, just because he's been on his own with just him and Susan for a long time, and so, you know, being with Ian and Barbara actually is important to sort of develop Doctor as we know him today, so you'll see that as we, as we kind of go through. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so they have this whole argument with him about, hey, we saw, you know, our student come in here, and we don't see her anywhere, and the only place she could be is a this box. And he's basically like, no, you're crazy, you're imagining things, you know, you can go get a policeman if you want to, you can watch the door, because, you know, there's only one way in and out. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let you into that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then Susan opens the door and they hear her calling out to him. And then they're like, oh, Susan's in there. So they run inside. <laughs> which, you know, I do wonder why Ian also runs inside because it's just a police box. Then, you know, if Susan's already in there and Barbara goes in there. There's be no like, room for him. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and so then we have a shot of the inside of the TARDIS, which. You know, what, you know, again, coming to it from the new series, what do you think of that sort of original version?
2: It looks weird. <laughs> the unaired pilot seemed to have a throne just randomly sitting off to the side. Mm. It looked like a throne. It was a very faint mm-hmm. chair. Yes. In the aired pilot, I think it was toned down a lot more. There was just, just a single thing sitting right there for you to sit catty-cornered, not even facing the door properly. I don't know. It's very different, especially in black and white.
0: Yeah. Well, they wanted it to be like this sort of futuristic look, and so they made it like this very stark white, you know, sort of like bright,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, thing of being like, you know, this is what it would look like. It ship thing. Oh yeah. But uh, but you know, I mean, there's some familiar stuff. The console. You know, it's still it's still six-sided. I, I like the, the the rotor part, the part that goes up and down in these old ones a lot. It'll get a lot smaller as the series goes along and it'll <laughs> just turn into something with just like a light in the middle. And I'm like, it just goes up and down with this little glass tube around it. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't look as good. I like I like this sort of big thing in the middle and it spins mm-hmm. and, you know, it does all kinds of stuff. So I, I like that look to it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, and so, and of course it's huge. That's not as big a deal for you. If you came to it from later episodes of the classic series, the console room gets a lot smaller as the presses and, like, the console itself takes up more of a percent. You know, because it stays the same size and the walls seem to, like, shrink around it because they're trying to make it tighter on the main characters, Right. Right. So, you know, all that furniture everywhere and all that. But I like I like this older version where it looks like, you know, people actually spend time in here. There are chairs and stuff, you know, sitting around and stuff like that. I just, I like that sort of look to it.
2: Oh, no. There's there's not chairs. There's a chair. There's not even a table next to it <laughs> that I could see.
0: Yeah, the furniture kind of over it from episode to episode. <laughs> so, it seems like they just go in, like, to inside, you know, deeper into the TARDIS and pull out other furniture from time to time. I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, definitely, um, stuff, cause eventually, uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, so we have the, the TARDIS, you know, of course, we get our very first uh, reactions of, but it was just a box, and now it's this huge thing, and, you know, all that stuff. Like the typical, you know, like companion, you know, seeing the TARDIS for the first time kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and what did you think about the argument that the doctor makes that if you watch television then you already know that you can pick something big and put it inside something small
2: i oh, thought that was hilarious yeah
0: <laughs> i like that too i was
2: like that's fantastic writing i love it let's just go with that <laughs>
0: right. but yeah and this is where this is probably the part that's different though because the unaired pilot gives more of the idea that the Doctor is worried that if he let Ian and Barbara go, that it would change history. Yeah. And that just the being a, just understanding that a concept like the TARDIS can exist would, you know, have a negative effect on things.
2: Even if no one believed them.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that seems to be more of the reasoning behind taking them away this version it's more of he's afraid of the influence they have on susan
1: mm-hmm.
0: he does not like that because you know, they've been in one place for a long time Because he's, he's been fixing the tardis you know she seems to have really assimilated to you know 1960s earth and she's even talking about leaving him because she wants to stay and that's really freaking him out
2: I also noticed in the unaired pilot, she named the century she was born yes. in, and they took it out of the actual televised version.
0: The reason for that was they wanted to make them more mysterious. Okay. And so they didn't want like a fact like that that you know, then might pin them down to something later. They wanted it, They deliberately decided to make it more nebulous okay. as far as where they were from and what the situation was. So yeah, in this version all they say is like we're cut off from our own home. And mm-hmm. they don't give really any explanation as to what, you know, that means or why they back, but they've just basically like, Yeah, we're we're cut off from where we come from.
2: I gotta say though, Ian seems much more open minded in the televised pilot as opposed to the unaired where all he did was go, This isn't possible, this isn't possible.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, but they're still telling Susan, like, this is just like some fantasy you've created. But I'm watching them say this and I'm like, why would you, 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 you know, because you walked around that police box that it was only a certain size.
2: But she looks like them. So that has to be what's real.
0: <laughs> yes. But it, yeah, to me, it's like the fact that they're trying to convince her that this is just like some sort of game that she's playing with her grandfather. is just <laughs> kind of like, mm, okay, you guys, something's up. You know, even if you don't believe in the time travel part, you know, you can tell something weird's going on here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what it comes to. So basically saying like, if you got to leave grandfather, then that's fine. I'll go off with them. And so then he appears to agree. He says, all right, fine, if that's what you want. But then he goes over and he starts, you know, working the controls to actually leave.
2: And we get the first sound of the TARDIS, mm-hmm. like the actual sound of it. And I was like, oh, look, that's what it sounded like to begin with. It's, and it still sounds very much, mostly like that. Maybe maybe stronger.
0: Yeah, that's actually made by taking a key and dragging it over like an old piano string. Huh. And then just playing it Odes, op- so it's that sound of" vroom, vroom, vroom,
1: vroom,
2: vroom, vroom,
0: vroom, vroom, that you kind of get from that thing, and then like just like playing it at different tempos like all on top of each other, and that's how you make the I have keys. sound.
2: I want to try this
0: <laughs> but yeah no it's 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 another really cool like sound where again, they came up with something where it's like this doesn't sound like anything else
2: It's true. there is nothing that sounds like that ever.
0: And yeah, so then they, you know, they sort of show like, uh, you know, an image of like London, like going further and, you know, away as they're supposedly going out into, you know, space or whatever. And you get sort of the the opening vision of the time, you know, stream superimposed on their faces to sort of convey the idea of we're traveling you know, in time now, and then, you know, and the first thing is, this first time the TARDIS is traveling in a while, is so violent or whatever that it actually knocks Ian and Barbara out, so they're just sprawled on the floor.
2: I wasn't sure if it was just particularly harmful to humans at this point. What?
0: Uh, you know, it's never explained, but it never happens again. From here on out, <laughs> when the TARDIS leaves, so that, the, like, the best theory or explanation I've ever come up with or heard anyone else say is that maybe just because the TARDIS hadn't moved in a really long time it was like really shaking really hard and they just kind of like fell over and maybe hit their heads or something but yeah i i don't know it's it's that part's a little weird to me <laughs> But yeah, and then so then like the final shot is, you know, there you know, a uh, uh, sort of like barren landscape and the shadow starts like coming, you know, and, and sort of casts over, you know, the ground, you know, near the TARDIS.
2: And I had more notes about that because all I could think of on the first one, the pilot, I was like, wait, is this mean old doctor about some weird, desolate alien planet?
1: <laughs> and then I watched the televised
2: pilot and I was like, wait he's still going to abandon them on some a- desolate alien planet
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's uh, you know that's legitimate <laughs> i can see why you would think that
2: they're gonna be regular characters and I'm, I'm i'm feeling a little bit better about him now <laughs>
1: right.
0: Well, yeah, just 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 watch. You know, I mean, uh, before you before you get too uh, excited about that, just through the next story, you know, or for the rest of this story, I should say, and then you'll you'll sort of see how things develop. But that suggestion is not off the table. Let's put it that way.
2: <laughs> no, based on his personality, what I've seen, I would not put it past either version <laughs> of to just like dump them right out the TARDIS door <laughs> while they're unconscious.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, this is the first episode. Uh, you've seen, you know, sort of two versions of it. You know, what are your overall thoughts uh, about it?
2: I'm definitely curious. If this had been the first thing I'd seen, I still would want to keep watching because it's different. And if for knowing the limitations and just having seen other shows done at similar times with, in similar style, I like it. I like the, I like the weirdness of it. I like the quirkiness of the doctor, especially in the televised version, I, the impishness that he shows. I may not identify with much but I'm curious to see where she goes and if she hangs out for a while, does she grow up? What do we know? And her poor teachers, who did not, who did not sign up for this. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I feel a little bad for them.
0: Yeah, this is the first example of the doctor kidnapping.
2: <laughs> yeah, he does that a lot, doesn't yes. he? Oh, but I like it. I think it's I think it's a great opening episode. I really do.
0: Oh good, good, yeah. So um just a little more background kind of stuff. So when they originally were coming up with the idea for everything and sort of doing character breakdowns and whatnot Susan, until very late in the day, was not going to be the doctor's granddaughter. She was just going to be a random kid at school. And somehow, you know, I don't know how they were going to contrive to have the three of them you know, discover the doctor and the TARDIS, but it was going to be a different dynamic that way. But the writer of this first story... Was so scandalized by the notion that a teenage girl traveling with three people who were three adults who were not her relative that he was like, "No, she's got to be related to one of them."
2: Can you hear my eyes rolling?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Different. Different times. Different. Yeah. You know. Sort of moral. You know. Standards. So yeah. He he was the one that I with the idea of she should be the doctor's granddaughter so that it's sort of like you know nothing nothing weirds going on there.
2: Well, at least in the televised pilot, he actually seems to act more like a grandfather. Because in the, outlet, I kind of almost feel like he brainwashed this random person. <laughs> oh man,
0: yeah, no, he's definitely way harsher in that unaired one. I'm really glad that they went, you know, they they redid that to have him, you know, soften up quite a bit. But yeah, so that was it was sort of a different, you know, mentality when they were when they were first coming up with the ideas about it. But I think that they, I think it works pretty well. I mean, there was a. Um, there was a different version of what they were going to do the writer that was attached uh, first. And they were going to do this weird thing where like they, which, which, which I don't even know why they thought this is a good idea. They were going to get shrunk. And they were all going to be, like, tiny, and they were going to have to, like, you know, do all the kinds of stuff you do in a show where, where it's about shrinking, where, like, you know, be menaced by, like, cats, or there were going to be kids at the school who might step on them or stuff like that. And I was like, but that doesn't even have anything to do with the time travel aspect, so why would you make that your first story, right? You know, hopefully they, they abandoned that.
2: Well, there is the whole relative dimensions in space thing, I mean.
0: Right. Well, the idea of shrinking will actually come up later, but not as the first story. And I think that that's a really good thing, because, you know, like I say, it would would not be a good setup for what's going to be the sort of style of the show. Right. But yeah, so yeah, I I mean, I've watched this so many times. But I still think that, you know, I mean, watching this first episode, I'm grateful uh, that the, the original pilot did get remade. And it's kind of crazy because the BBC actually junked episode. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of that. Basically, they felt that, you know, after something's been around for like eight, nine years or whatever, they're not going to be able to sell it any more overseas or anything and back then when there were no reruns or very few reruns they were like oh well you know at least we're not going to get any more overseas sales so we can just throw these episodes away
2: I did hear about that yes
0: and so we've lost a lot of Doctor Who Thanks, because they were incompetent <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff that was supposed to get junked didn't get junked. Also some stuff like stayed at like other television stations around the world where they, when they were supposed to send it back they either forgot or it got lost or whatever so people have actually found episodes in Australia, New Zealand, and other places where you know Doctor Who was shown Where, you know, it was like, oh, it was in some, like, vault of some foreign station. You know, there were a few episodes or whatever, and so they were able to get those back. And a few cases of where, like, former BBC employees were like, hey, if they're going to junk this thing anyway, I'll just take it home with me. And so some episodes have been returned that way as well, where, you know, people, you know, gave back episodes that they had, you know, kind of sort of stolen, but kind of sort of not because it was going to get junked. So, you know, know, why? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, but there are, it's incomplete. But this episode, but the pilot actually survived Competent, and it was a clerical error where people saw it, and they didn't realize it wasn't the one that was transmitted. Oh, wow. So, it still, it had the same, like, episode code or whatever, because it was still an earthly child. And so, they were like, oh, yeah, this is one of the ones we're supposed to keep, because, you know, for historic reasons, they wanted to keep the flight. So, you know, they're like, yeah, this is one of the ones we're supposed to keep. So that's why we actually have the two versions is just because they didn't know well enough to know that that wasn't, you know, something they were supposed to junk.
2: And now it's a really cool part of history.
0: Yes, exactly. The other, but the other cool thing is, so we have these missing episodes, but... Because there were a lot of people watching TV in those days that were getting into audio recording. and We mm-hmm. actually have the audio for every missing episode because people recorded it. Like what we would do with the VCR now, but they just recorded the audio back then oh, wow. of all those episodes. So coming basically from like four or five different people that were recording episodes they've actually been able to get the audio back for every missing story. And those have been released by the BBC with narration to cover things that were visible. But obviously, if you're listening to it on audio, going on on screen. Right. So we actually have every episode in some form or other.
2: This is exciting.
0: Yeah, I thought, I was hoping you'd think that that was cool. (laughs) But I I can't like help but like get excited talking about Doctor Who. So if I come off a little, you know, like, isn't it great? You know, it's just because this is something that I really enjoy and I really enjoy sharing it um, with someone.
2: Hey, I'm excited to be learning about it even and just watching and being able to talk about it as I'm watching it.
0: No, that's 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 awesome. But yes, I mean, for me, yeah, I mean, this one's great. I mean, I, I think it's a good setup. I think it's a good introduction for there. And, you know, obviously with a show that, like, is around for as long as doctor who has been around things change but one of the things that i really like about this era that you see is that there's a lot of character development that happens as the series progresses they kind of get more into a like each serial is just kind of self-contained mode it becomes a little more like yeah it's important when like a companion comes and goes or when a doctor regenerates or whatever but otherwise you could pretty much watch these in any order Mm -hmm. these first reasons have what you know like we would consider like in modern television to be like actual arcs you know characters go through journeys and stuff and so to me that still makes it very watchable because if you're you know invested in the characters or interested in them you know like i don't care if the effects are you know look cheap and dated right i can get past that because i'm engaged in the story i'm engaged in the characters and i think this was a good start for all of that a good you know introduction for the characters that we will be with for a while i won't tell you how long i was about to say for a length <laughs> and then i said no <laughs> cuz i want you to be surprised you can't do that. right i want you to be surprised when people come and go
2: I mean, told me that Ian and Barbara would be regular characters. I would have been convert assured that he was going to dump them off.
0: Okay. Yeah. No. That's 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 bad on me. I thought it was obvious that they were going to be the regulars. So Not that's my all. fault. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I'll be, I'm going to be very interested in your like opinion of things as they change. And frankly, I'm happy if you disagree with me. That's one of those things where I'm get kind of sick of reading line opinions that all like mirror each other. Mm-hmm this story is a good one this one is a bad one you know and it's like every single book says the same thing and it's like i kind of like it when somebody says no this one that everybody hates on i I like it you know or this one that everybody says is the greatest one like it's really not that good because i like hearing like the other opinions of you know why do you say that i had a friend recently uh i say recently it was like four years ago went and did his own watch from the beginning and he was doing a blog wherever every, you know, he'd watch a serial and then he'd post about it. And it was really refreshing because he was somebody that hadn't been part of, like, fan forums in the 90s and, you know, books about Doctor Who and stuff. And so, like, his opinions about things were, like, really different than what I was used to hearing. And I really liked that because it's like, I like seeing things through a different point of view.
2: Oh, man, you're going to love me on Girl in the Fireplace because everybody (laughs) loves that episode and I don't like it at all.
0: (laughs) I'm definitely going to be interested in that one because I've seen... All right, so... Just before we close off here, I'll give my thing that I wasn't sure I should say. So, I have not been the biggest fan series. Hopefully that won't make people who are listening to this, like, turn off in disgust. I have seen the first four seasons of the new series, so I have seen Girl in the Fireplace, so I know what you're talking about. It was not my favorite either. <laughs> put it that <laughs> See, way.
2: the one that came after that was so much more emotional for me, but I'm a huge fan of the new series for the most part.
0: Right, no, I I, I, I get that, but yeah, no, I'm... Yeah, I mean, seeing Sarah Jane was, you know, great to me, too. But that's because I watched... Sarah Jane was my first companion. Oh. When I started watching Doctor Who, it was, it was with the fourth Doctor, Were what I started with. No. Yeah. Although, I'll tell you, the, the scene from that one that I absolutely adore is has nothing to do with Sarah Jane. He that he's the tin dog. Yes! Oh, my God, when he
2: realizes
0: he's K-9. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that scene.
2: I can't wait till we get to the new Who to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I really like Mickey. I feel like Mickey was treated horribly by Rose. I think Mickey's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's our first. That's the first foray into Doctor Who. We'll come back. We'll uh, you know review the rest of the serial, which are episodes two through four. Fans, because fans like to give names to things, if they're if they ever break out the serial into two parts like we're doing, they refer to this next bit as 10,0 D. So if you want a title for it, that's what, you know, we'll use. But yeah, each episode will have its own title. And there's a cat.
2: There's my cat. <laughs> Told you it was gonna happen.
0: <laughs> But uh alright, so yeah, Juliet, is there anything you wanna plug before we sign out?
2: Not really. I I mean, I'm just excited about this. Uh, If you want to talk geek or anything like that, you can hunt me down on Instagram as Elf or on C underscore visible underscore elf. But uh, I'll even talk about my other thoughts about why that teacher was using a laser pointer to look <laughs> around in a ridiculous tool shed. All
0: right. Yeah. you want to hear my thoughts or read my thoughts about Doctor Who audios, and I did do a little bit of the TV series before. I just didn't have the time to write it anymore. I do have my own blog called Blogger Who that I was writing, uh, blogger-who.livejournal.com, and you can go oh. check that out.
2: Live
0: journal. Yes, live journal. (laughs) But yeah, all are still there from uh that. Uh, If you're just kind of curious, you want to get ahead of us on the show uh, and sort of read my thoughts on some things there. Or if you want to look at some of the Big Finish stuff that I've reviewed. Actually, the most recent thing, I did try to go back and do it, was um, Big Finish also did some Stargate audio plays, and uh, I was reviewing some of those. But again, time, time. I love writing. I love writing both fiction and nonfiction. I have very little time to do so. So, you know, that's that's one of those things that I'd love to have more time and be able to write more reviews and write some prose, but so little time, but, (laughs) and yes, and of course you can check both of us out periodically. Uh, Juliet's on the show, but uh, you can check me out uh, on the 42 cast, which you can see at 42 cast.com or find on iTunes, Google play or stitcher radio. And uh, with that, this is Nathan signing off. You've been listening to TimeStreams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything at 42Cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License.